good morning. Oh, there we go. There we go. We got lights and sound, so we are in good shape here today. Those who are in this area, Jason was saying, you know, everybody's staying out of the lighted area here, so uh, sleeping must be better on the side uh, things this morning. But we're glad that you are here today. We trust that you've had a good walk with the Lord this week, that your hearts are hungry to come and to learn of the Lord, to be able to worship him. I trust God will minister in our hearts here today for his own glory. If you would please take your bulletins and we'll look through some of the announcements that are here today. Last week our nursery reopened during our gathering time. We appreciate those who are serving upstairs in that capacity. Uh, and so that will continue on. We do need volunteers if you would like to help out. That would be greatly appreciated. Uh, Rachel Dispinette's contact number is there. You can text her, call her, uh, let her know, and we, or let us know, and we can get that information to her. Church softball, uh, what's the tally on that time? We got enough players? Okay, all right. You don't need any old men, do you? No, okay, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't know how to answer that question. <laughs> what do I do with that one? So. If you'd like to help out on our softball team, it's always a lot of fun for the guys. Uh, we've done well in our area here in the league that we are in, and I trust that we'll have another good team this year. Ladies' book discussion, please note that. Put the date down. Uh, you can speak with Ginger if you have any questions on that. Uh, if you are interested in being baptized, I know we have a couple who have spoken to us a while back. We are going to plan a class here in the next couple of, or a class and then a baptism in the next couple of months. Uh, please let me know and or text me, write me, uh, whatever the case is, and uh, we will get you on that right away. Also, this an announcement by where we live here on the west side. We have a lot of folks come in and out of our church to join us for our gatherings, for which we are very grateful. If you have anyone approach you uh, with particular needs or financial needs or needs for food, please feel free to direct them to one of the staff pastors. We're happy to handle that or to one of our elders. Uh, we have things designated to help folks who come in like that. I know it can sometimes be a very awkward situation, and so uh, please do not hesitate to direct them to one of the staff pastors or one of our elders or deacons, and we can help care for those particular needs. Worship is often a response to something God has done in our hearts. The greatest form of worship is that that is related directly to God. As we see God placed before us in whatever form and fashion that might be, and our hearts respond to him, and they respond in worship. I trust that you never lose sight of that. We have what we have in our bulletin, our liturgy, is a call to worship, and it is exactly that. We take time and think through this. We want to put before you passages of Scripture that call your heart to give worship and praise to our great God. So you listen as I read a portion of Psalm 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his works is done in faithfulness. He loves 
righteousness and justice, the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as in heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of his people. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Allow these words to settle in your heart and call our souls to worship. stand as we worship in song.
di sini. As we have mentioned over the last few weeks, catechisms often build in theme just like the scriptures pointing us to a redeemer. These past weeks we've spoken about the inability of man to provide a means of being in coming into God's presence of being right with God. Today the two questions are so exciting. Then who is this mediator, true God and at the same time true and righteous human? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who was given to us to completely deliver us and make us right with God. How do we come to know this? The Holy Gospel tells me God began to reveal the gospel already in paradise. Later, God proclaimed it by the holy patriarchs and prophets and foreshadowed it by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. And finally, God fulfilled it through his own beloved son. Let's pray. Our Father, as we read these very critical questions and answers, Lord, as they are rehearsed in our ears, it causes our hearts to rejoice our souls to overflow in thanksgiving that you have opened our eyes that we can see the truth of the gospel that you have provided Jesus Christ truly God truly man to come and to take our sin upon himself that we might become righteous in him Lord we are overwhelmed by that truth we are grateful for that truth that causes our hearts to be stirred deeply Oh, Father, I pray that day in and day out these truths would be etched in our mind, that we would not forget them. Lord, not only as a truth to store in our mind, but as a truth to guide our feet, to guide our affections. Lord, to guide the things that we do in life, to set before us the priorities of life, that you are preeminent. But Lord, throughout the day, throughout the week, and what we do and what we say, it would be evident that we are followers of Christ, that we have been redeemed by him, that we love him, that he is our ultimate goal. And Father, we thank you for these truths. I pray, Lord, that as we continue to worship before you today, that the songs that we lift before you would exalt your name, and Lord, that we would be able to sing, to listen, to read. I pray for my brother as he preaches the word to us from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. God, that all these things would come together in a way to point us to Christ. And Lord, that our hearts might long to be there and stay there and be guided by that great truth. Oh God, we love you and we give you praise. Amen. Please stand. Let's sing to him a new song. This is a song about God's triune glory. Um, and what he's done for us in, in Christ. Um, we'll repeat verse 1 to help get the tune. Please join in and let's sing together as you, as you feel comfortable. In the darkness we were waiting Without hope, without light Till from heaven you came running 
there's mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt in the darkness we were waiting without hope without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the Yeah. 
worshiping let's have a seat for a, a few moments let's honor our God and worship him by listening and receiving his word and letting it shape us as scripture is read a reading from the gospel of Matthew not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day many will say to me Lord Lord did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. A reading from the letter to the Thessalonians. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you, believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Let's stand and sing another song together.
Thank you, Sean and worship team, for leading us this morning into our time of corporate worship together. If you would take your copy of the Holy Scriptures and open with me to Philippians chapter 3 for the reading of our sermon text. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be reading beginning at verse 12 all the way through verse 21. Philippians chapter 3, let us now together hear the word of the Lord. Paul the Apostle, writing to the church at Philippi, records these words for us. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to sub subject all things to himself. That is the word of the Lord for us this day. Let us pray together. Well, Father, even as I read through that passage, I recognize it is such a full 
text for us this morning. This Lord's Day that you have set aside for us now to gather as your people to set our minds and our hearts on this truth. Spirit of God, would you be gracious in this moment to shape and form us, your people, your church, shape and form us more and more into the image of Christ. God, give us right and holy zeal and passions toward that which is primary in our lives. Keep us centered in who we are in Christ as we strive and labor to obtain the prize that is before us. Let us remember the hope that we have in Christ, that day that awaits us, and may that day now strengthen and energize our holy pursuits. Lord, this is a full passage. And I would pray today that it would shape your people here at Randolph Street, that it would strengthen us for the day that is before us. I pray for those joining us online this morning, those who are unable, who are unable to be with us, Lord, that you would use these moments in the quietness of their homes, the word open and on their laps. Oh God, do that work. Be pleased to grow your church this day. And Father, I would pray that if there are any here among us or joining us online that have not come to faith in Christ, that what would grow in their hearts this morning through your word is a sense of utter desperation as they look into their own hearts knowing there is no righteousness. But Lord, would you free them by your grace to look upon Jesus today and see that through faith he can be their righteousness before you, our holy God. Bless now, Father, your word for your glory and for the good of your church. We pray that in Christ's name, amen. I cry to you in darkest places I will call incline your ear to me I'll do and hear my cry for mercy Lord were you to count my sinful ways how could I come before your throne yet full forgiveness meets my gaze I stand redeemed by grace alone I will wait for you I will wait for you on your word I will satisfied 
So put your hope in God alone. Take courage in His heart to save. Completely and forever one by Christ emerging from the grave. I will wait for you. I will wait for you on your word. I will rely. I will wait for you. Surely wait for you till my soul is satisfied. Now he has come to make a way, and God himself has paid the price that all who trust in him today find healing in his sacrifice that all who trust in him today find healing in his sacrifice i will wait for you i will wait for you through the storm and through the night i will wait for you surely Thank you, Keith and Ashley, for ministering to us this morning. I'm just so, so grateful, so grateful for the many gifted individuals in our church family that love to serve and to lead us into moments like that. Again, Keith and Ashley, thank you so much. Well, with your Bibles open on your lap, notepads, pens, a few announcements, if I could, for a moment or two before I get into this particular text. Um, Pastor Tim mentioned it a few moments ago. Some of you are really bright this morning. Right? There's like two groups of people here. We're testing lights, okay? So someone generously donated the necessary funds to us for us to replace all these lights. So we just have some testers in here this morning. And we put our best-looking people right under those <laughs> lights. Sorry, you folks. You know, you're in the outer darkness, I guess. Um, Thank you to those of you who've joined us for our reading through the Second London Confession. We've got one more session. We don't have a date for it yet, but if you've been here for that, most of our elders and deacons have. A few others of you have kind of wandered in. 
Um, it, it has been just an, a wonderful exercise of our faith. Just reading aloud these glorious summaries of such central truths to who we are as Christians. So there is one more session, but thank you to those who've joined us. We'll get you information about that soon. And then lastly, uh, Don Ashmus, as you uh, were notified last week, went into the presence of the Lord, uh, rejoicing now with his Savior. His services, as of now, this is my understanding, is they are May the 1st. You haven't missed them. Uh, we will get you the final details. May the 1st, it will be at Risen King Church, our church plant in Taze Valley. Uh, I believe, if I've got my mind correct, visitation will begin at 1, and the funeral services will take place at 2 p.m. Uh, we will get that information out to you this week via email uh, once we are certain that I just didn't mess everything up there. But May 1st, Saturday. So today, we are in Philippians chapter 3. And our goal is to work through verse 21. This is probably my last time preaching in the book of Philippians. Pastor Tim will be preaching the next couple of weeks in Philippians chapter 4. We'll see. I wrestle. This is the longest, the longest walk of my life is from my pulpit to that chair every Sunday when I preach a bad sermon. It's the long, I heard a preacher say this one time after preaching a bad sermon reflecting and saying, I hope that's not the last one before I stand before Jesus. So I often have that thought walking those 15 or so steps. But Pastor Tim is going to walk into Philippians 4 with us these next two Sundays and complete what I trust has been a very helpful study for you as a church. We've got Acts and Revelation in front of us, but I, I don't want to pass quickly before we move out of Philippians as it's really come at a very instrumental time in our church. I think we've walked through some, this is, as with most Christians, it's been an unusual season these past 12, 14, 16 months. For us here at Randolph Street, we've experienced some challenges and difficulties. We have lost some of those individuals and members of our church who we so deeply loved. And Philippians has kind of guided us through that. It's, it's helped shape our thinking about all of the controversial things we live in today as Christians and as we've watched loved ones go into the presence of Christ. Philippians has been kind of the guard up on our hearts these last 10 or 8 or so months as we've walked through these most unusual days. These last two Sundays in Philippians chapter 3, have felt in many ways, for me at least, to be a high water mark. And we said this last Sunday, there's really a high water mark in Philippians 1. There's a high water mark again in Philippians 2. And it feels like maybe Philippians 3 is kind of the, the apex of Paul's argument as he's been tracing and moving to this moment. Paul, when he writes this, is setting in a Roman jail. I think it's easy for us at times to get into books like this and to lose sight of context. But Paul writes these words from a Roman jail imprisoned because of his work for Christ. 
Paul writes the words that we went through last Sunday morning. And just to recapture some of those in verse 10 and 11, Paul, while he sits in a Roman jail, he wants to, verse number 10, know Christ. I mean, there he is, suffering for the cause of, of the gospel and suffering for his love for Jesus. And while in prison for his work for Christ, what is burning in his soul is he wants to know Christ. While he sits in that Roman jail, verse number 10, he wants to know the power of the resurrection. He, he wants to see that working in and through his life, leading ultimately to what I think Paul's heart is here, and that's Christ-likeness. In this moment in his life, suffering in a Roman jail, Paul's heart here is to know Christ and to know the power of his resurrection. Not only that, verse 10, while sitting in that Roman jail, Paul wanted to share in the sufferings of Christ. Now, capture that moment. This is how Paul sees himself in that prison. He's sharing in the sufferings of Christ, and he is glad for that. Why is he glad for that? Because he knows, verse 11, this might be, possibly might be the very means of which he will enter into the presence of Christ and experience the ultimate promise of God, which is, verse 11, resurrection. I mean, what a man, by God's grace, but what a man, what a disciple of Jesus in that Roman prison, what is boiling in his soul is not vindication or even release. But he wants to know Jesus. He wants to know the power of the resurrection, that which raised Jesus from the dead. He wants that power moving through his heart and soul. He wants to share in the sufferings of Christ because he knows at the end of the day he will experience the resurrection of his body. The final end. The final end of the promises of God toward Paul in Christ. It's probably helpful for us as we walk through this study to ask ourselves, Remembering context, is this my heart in that moment? This is good for us right now in America. Man, controversy stirring all around us. Dozens and dozens of things are drawing us away from Christ, cap trying to capture our hearts about things that we are now walking through. And Paul here, unjustly prisoned, imprisoned, Where's his heart? This is why I think it's been so good for us in Philippians through election season and through COVID. Where is Paul's heart? Not caught up in all the stuff that's out there. Paul's heart is consumed with Christ. Randolph Street, I hope the end result of the most divisive season of our country's history, well, maybe not the most divisive, one of the most divisive seasons in our country's history, and all the stuff that's flying around us in these days, and COVID, and everything else, and masks, and all the controversies, I hope what's squeezed out of us is this, we want to know Christ. If you in your Christian life right now, you're distracted by everything else, I hope Philippians is a call to genuine repentance, 
to that which we were first called to, our first love, and that is Christ. This is my last time preaching in Philippians, possibly, so I'm trying to get all this in at the beginning. Tim's sitting there thinking, I just lost a week. I know it. Here's your outline for the morning to get us through these few verses. One, we're going to see Paul's heart. He's going, to, he's going to open up his life to us. Paul doesn't do this very often in his writings, but in chapter 3 of Philippians, we see it in really two sides. But Paul's going to open up his life, his passion, his heart. Two, Paul's going to exhort us. Three, he's going to set before us two examples. Lastly, he's going to give us a reminder. The examples are going to be positive and negative. I'll finish up with three conclusions. Let's look at Paul's life. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, 13, and 14. Paul sets before his readers. Remember, this is a, this is a church that he loves. This is a church that he was instrumental in planting. These are lives that he is familiar with. These are people that he knows their histories. He knows their stories. These aren't distant individuals. These are men and women that Paul deeply loves. And now he's going to lay his life out before these readers. And in that, he's going to show them his heart. So look at verse 12 and 14 here. I have, not that I have, he's going to clear up something, not that I've already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And then here it is again in verse 14, this, this idea of pressing. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So verse 12, verse 14, Paul shares with us, the readers, there is something that's happening in his heart he's, he's pressing forward to, he's striving for, he's seeking to attain. So the question is, what is Paul pressing toward? Verse 12, I press on to make it my own. Verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is Paul here pressing Toward. Well, I, th I think we can say a number of things. It's not simple, but they all really lead to the same conclusion. Paul's life was consumed with seeking to fully know Christ. And that's kind of the header. He wanted to be like Christ, he wanted to be in the presence of Christ. And as you note at the end of verse number 11, we just spoke of Paul here. That was what he saw as the end of all things, the resurrection of the dead, fully now in the presence of his Savior. In Paul's mind, his heart, his passion, what drove him was to know Christ, to be like Christ, and to be in the presence of Christ forever. That consumed Paul. I think that's what he's saying in verse number 14. The upward, the ultimate goal is summarized by that very familiar language for us, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, so Paul here has a target. 
sitting in that Roman prison. He has a target, and that target is he wants to know Christ. He wants to be like Christ, which has been the whole of our passage we've been looking at in chapter 2 and chapter 3, and he wants to be in the presence of Christ. Paul wants communion with his Savior. You can only imagine how many times Paul reflected up on the Damascus Road, right? That moment for this Pharisee, this hard-hearted, law, quote-unquote, keeping Jew, this Israelite of all Israelites, tribe of Benjamin. You can only imagine how many times he reflected back up on that moment when he stood before this resurrected and glorified Christ and for a moment was absolutely consumed by the glory of Jesus. That marked his life. The rest of his life now is to know Christ and to make Christ known. I mean, that, that, that consumed every aspect of Paul's life and thinking and goals. His aim was to know Jesus, to be like Jesus, and ultimately and forever commune with Christ. Now, notice back in verse number 12, Paul knows that those things set out in the future. In other words, he knows that he has not attained them already. So it's a little bit of corrective here. Verse 12, I have not, not that I have already attained this or am already perfect. So Paul's correcting some thoughts here. I haven't attained this status yet. I'm not perfect yet. Remember, Paul, Paul taught us that he was in Christ. He was found in Christ. That's what he, that's what he exhorted us toward. And in Christ, we worked through this a couple of weeks ago, in Christ, that positional reality, we are righteous before this holy God. But Paul recognizes that right now in this life, we are not practically righteous. Paul also recognized that the full completion of our salvation awaits us. I mean, it's, it's this, you've heard this as you've probably read various scholars, this already not yet tension. Right, right now, I stand before you. I am righteous in Christ. Right? I'm saved. But there awaits, if you will, a fuller sense of righteousness when not only will I have the positional standing of righteous before Christ, but I will be made righteous at that glorious day. It's that tension that rises up in Paul's heart, and he's reminding us here, though he is righteous in Christ, that standing, that positional reality, there is a fullness that awaits at that day. Paul, I think he's kind of opening up his heart here a little bit to us. He, He doesn't know Christ like he wants to know Christ. And he doesn't know Christ like he will know Christ. He, he looks into his heart here and he doesn't see Christ's likeness like he wants to see, but he knows at that day he will be conformed fully to Christ. So in that tension, Paul here opens up his heart and he says he's pressing toward that. 
I mean, if you go back and look at verse number 12 and verse number 13, this language, I press on to make it my own. Or verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. This is Paul's life. This is what he's about. He's, he's pressing in these ways toward that perfection. And let us remember how he's doing this. He's doing it by the power of him who raised Jesus from the dead. Back to verse number 10. That's how Paul is pressing here. He's doing it by the power that raised Jesus from the dead, and he is doing it through sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Verse number 12, there is a really important statement that centers us, grounds us. He says in verse 12, I press on to make it my own because... Christ Jesus has made me his own. I mean, this is, this is Paul giving us some theological stability now, right? He's planting our feet on truth here that he wants us to remember. And he's calling to you because it's true about his life. It's true about your life. Paul's, Paul's striving and his grinding to move forward in this way. He does so because Christ has made him his own. In other words, the gospel and the work of God toward us as sinners in Christ is what energizes Paul in his pressing forward, his striving. So this is just a look into Paul's heart. He's pressing. He's got this vision out there. Do you have this vision for your life? I want to be like Christ. I want to know Christ. I'm going to commune with Christ. Do you have that all-consuming passion for your life? Look at verse number 13. Look at how Paul presses. Again, this is still looking at just his heart, his life. Paul writes, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Two, there's two verbs here that kind of capture us. Paul forgets and he strains. You see that? He presses forward by forgetting those things which lay behind. What are these things that Paul speaks of? Well, probably if you let your eyes race back up to verse number three and following, it's probably his past achievements. Paul recognizes that those past achievements did nothing for his standing before his holy God. And now Paul looks at those past achievements and he forgets them, these things that lay behind him. He forgets them. And, or maybe Paul here is speaking of his own failures, his own struggles, his own sins. He knew that the blood of Christ covered them, so Paul then could forget them. But this is how Paul sees life. He, he forgets those things are behind, and then the other verb, he strains toward the goal. It, this feels like the idea here in this particular verb. Paul is using all of his energy. All right, and now in, he, he's exasperated. In this striving, and yet in Paul's mind, he's going to push through that. He's going to, to strain through that, looking at this goal that's before him. I've shared this with you before. I, I hate running. 
Dwab played baseball, right? 90 feet at a time. I mean, it's why I like golf. You walk. I, I hate the feelings of my legs burning and my side hurting. And, and yet I've, I've done it. I'm running some, don't look down on me. I've run in some 5Ks and they're like big goals of my life. And you know, when you're in those 5Ks, like Crossroads used to put on, maybe you still do and others, you start running and there's always little kids and your pride just overcomes you. You haven't ran for months, years. And so you're, you're going to beat them and you start running and it's about, I don't know, 150 feet in and you feel it, right? You feel it. It just sets in on you. And you've got to push through it. You've got to push through. That's the picture Paul gives here. Right? He, he's straining. He's forgetting the things that are behind him. He's ignoring them. He's laid them aside. All past achievements, all past failures, Paul has set those things aside because now he is in Christ. And that changes everything in Paul's mind. He is now to be found in Christ. So Paul here, he looks at life, he looks at holiness, he looks at Christ-likeness, and he strains, he pushes himself. All the while knowing Christ has made him his own. That's the ground he stands on. Brothers and sisters, listen, we believe here at Randolph Street that we are saved by grace nothing in and of ourselves we have merited God's judgment but God in his grace has shown us salvation and our life from beginning to end is characterized by grace he brings us into Christ and he will make us like Christ at that day. So that grounds us. That's, that's our theology. That's, that's not our theology. That's the theology of the Bible. We stand there. But as we stand in his grace, we strive. Knowing that it's by his grace, Philippians chapter 2 taught us that he works in us both to will and to do. Right? Never, never miss that. But we work out our own salvation. We strive. We strain forward. That's the vision of life that Paul had for himself. And I think that's the vision of life he's pressing up on us. I asked you last Sunday to join me in praying. When you woke up Monday morning, would you join me in praying? Just say, Lord, would you make me like Christ today? And then let that thought consume your soul. I think it's what Paul's pushing us toward here. Look at, look at verse 15. This is Paul's exhortation now out of his reflection on his own life. He, he has this kind of, I don't want to call it a hidden exhortation, but it, Paul's calling us here to, to move forward. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us, be, only let us hold true to what we have attained. You hear that? After showing his life, He then looks at you, the reader, and says, okay, 
Let's let those of you who are mature think this way also. And if you think any other way, God's going to reveal that to you. This is a hidden exhortation for us. And if you remember, Paul's writing to a church that has been through battles. They've experienced persecution and difficulties. And in that experience in this life, much, much like you're walking through, I'm, I'm sure each of you in this room, you have your own battles, your own discouragements, your own difficulties. This, this church is no different. And in the midst of all of that, it's easy to grow weary. So Paul here is challenging you. Those who are mature don't give up. Look down at verse number 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. That's what that verse is about. He wants us to hold fast what we have come to. Don't give up. In other words, keep pressing just like Paul. That's what mature people do. Right? We, we keep straining forward toward these ideals and goals that the Scriptures put before us, this knowing Christ, this Christ-likeness, this communing with Christ. And Paul here is saying to us, you keep pressing toward that. If you're mature, don't give up. Keep fighting. Keep pressing. Paul's call here for you, Christian, is to strive and to strain, to forget those things which are behind you and to press toward these goals in Christ. It's kind of the irony of this text. He says here, let those who are mature think this way. Mature men and women know that they are not yet mature or perfect. They they know they're not yet like Christ. They know that they're in a battle. They know that they have not arrived. They seek to be humble like their Savior. They seek to think, not think highly of themselves like their Savior in his humiliation. This is what mature people do. And Paul is calling us here toward this. Strive. Now, that little hidden exhortation is important when we begin to look at these two examples he gives us in verse 17 through 19. First, the positive example. Brothers, join in imitating me. All right, there it is. First couple of verses, this is my heart, this is my passion. Those of you who are mature, think this way. If you don't think this way, God's going to reveal it to you. Hold fast to what we have attained already. And then he says, brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul here knows much, much is at stake, and he wants us to have eyes that look at the lives of others that are worthy of imitation. Now, I, in the immediate context, he's probably referring to Timothy and Epaphroditus. If you remember the text that Tim preached a few weeks ago when we sent the Millers to West Africa. He's probably pointing at their lives. They modeled Jesus, right? They, they lived like their Savior. They were humble. They considered others, others above themselves. They were striving and pressing forward. So, so Paul's admonition here is rather simple. Look at their lives and imitate them. This is a good thing. This is, this is helpful. In this race that we are running, look at those who are pressing and aiming toward Christ and imitate them. You know, back to the 5K illustration. 
Usually about halfway, I'm looking at those who practiced and got ready, thinking, oh, I should have done that too, right? They're smiling, they're talking, they're running. I'm holding my side and puking, and they're just enjoying their run. And Paul here is saying, listen, have eyes that look around and see brothers and sisters who are walking with Christ, who are aiming for Christ, who are communing with Christ, whose lives look like Christ, and I want you to imitate them. In other words, for us, be around people that love Jesus and want their lives to look like Jesus' life. I said to you at the end of my sermon, I think last Sunday, maybe, that was Don Ashmus. That was Don right there. I mean, he, he had the life that I could look at, right, and see the, the humility of Christ and see the kindness of Christ, to see the patience of Christ, to see the love of Christ. And Paul here is saying, look for those lives and be around those kinds of people, those who are looking to see their lives shaped after his own image. Immerse yourself in them. there's a warning here, right? Don't surround yourself with immature and unstable people. Don't surround yourself with those who are proud or arrogant. Don't surround yourself with those whose lives are consumed with their own needs and their own wants and their own desires. Paul wants you to be discerning in this text. He wants you to look around and, and, and he wants you to see Lives that are worthy of imitating and then let that absorb into your own life. It's helpful to be around people who love Jesus and who want to be like him. Now, in this exhortation, there is a warning. Look at verse number 18. He writes, For many, as of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So Paul's over here on one hand, he's saying, hey, look around, find lives that imitate Christ and you imitate them. Like follow their example. On the other hand, Paul looks over here and he says, hey, there are others who have left the faith. In other words, there are those who have stopped pressing. There are those who have stopped straining. I think what Paul's speaking of here in verse 18 and following are individuals who at some point seemingly walked with Christ, but now they have left and they had departed the faith. They had meaningful spiritual experiences, Hebrews 6 type experiences, but over time it was revealed that the seed was planted on stony ground. And notice what, how Paul characterizes them. They walk as enemies of Christ, verse number 18. In other words, they had forsaken the gospel. They had succumbed to probably what Paul was warning about earlier in this chapter, this Judaism that sought to pull people away from Christ as the means of standing right before this holy God, to draw their eyes away from the gospel. Certain individuals that they knew, 
They, they knew their names, they knew their families, they knew their lives, they knew their occupation. And now Paul speaks of them as enemies of Christ. And nobody says to the end of their life, it's such a contrast here, the end of their life is destruction. Those who love Jesus, the end of their life is resurrection. But the end of their life, those who are enemies of the cross, is destruction. And know what Paul says here. He tells them with tears. In other words, he weeps over these individuals. Those who have walked away from Christ. It brought Paul to deep agony as he reflected upon their lives. And again, Paul probably knew some of these individuals. And now they have departed the faith, and Paul writes to them, I'll tell you with tears that they walk now as enemies of Christ. Brothers and sisters, when you, when you experience someone leaving the faith, walking away from Christ, and we've experienced that here at Randolph Street, there have been some among us who confess Christ, love Christ seemingly, and over time and circumstances, over trials and tribulations, what was revealed about these individuals is not that their faith was genuine, but it was temporal and superficial. When we experience those moments, like Paul, we should weep. I hope you listened last Sunday evening to our social media spill. That's going to be a part of our new members class from here on out. But I have seen this in the past. When a Christian leaves the faith, quote-unquote Christian, walks away from Christ, often what happens on platforms like social media from Christians is almost gloating a moment to prove a theological point Paul here weeps over this he mourns over this why does Paul mourn over this it's because of what he said back in verse number 19 their end is destruction this causes Paul to pause as he thinks about these men and women potentially who have walked away from these religious experiences and what has been revealed to them is there's, not, there's no life in them. And what happens to Paul is not to become callous toward that or desensitized to that. Instead, he weeps over it. The word destruction there is the opposite of everything Paul has been saying about our experience. For those of us who are in Christ, found in Christ, we are clothed in righteousness. And now we stand before God holy and accepted. For those who are not clothed in the righteousness of Christ, their end here is the wrath of God. These are two examples. Paul says to you, strive, strain to be like Christ. Imitate those who are striving in that manner. 
Recognize there are those who used to be among you and now they have walked away. Let that serve as a healthy warning to your soul. When we preach through the book of Hebrews here, it was a helpful pastoral experience for me to never take for granted the state and condition of your soul, those to whom I am preaching. Brothers and sisters, your hope must be in Christ and Christ alone. Nothing else. If it finds itself somewhere else, then you are in danger. Regardless of what past experiences you may have sensed or felt, you are in danger. If anything is rising up in your heart that says this earns me a right standing before God, only Christ has earned us a right standing before God. So by faith then, we lay hold of that righteousness, not out of ourselves, but because Christ is righteous. Let this text be a healthy warning to us in this room. The state of our souls. Paul finishes with verse 20 and 21 with a good reminder. He says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are found in him, you are righteous. If you are found in him, you are a citizen of heaven. And that is where Paul wants you to set your mind. So back to verse number 19. Those whose end is destruction, their mind is set on earthly things. In verse number 20, if you are in Christ, Paul wants your minds set up on heavenly things. Paul says here, you are a citizen of heaven. That's your condition. That's your status if you're in Christ. This is a helpful reminder to us. Paul knew that he was a citizen of Rome. He's not denying that here. As a matter of fact, in the books of Acts, the book of Acts, he appeals to that fact that he's a citizen of Rome. But Paul here, and this is, this is good for where we live today, Paul here reminds them of what is most important about them. And that is this, that they are citizens of heaven. Already, they are citizens of heaven because of verse number 12, Christ has made them his own. This idea of citizenship here communicates that this is our home, my eternal home. This is our possession because we are in Christ. So as Christians here, we might say that we are dual citizens, right? I think Paul would say that. I'm here, I'm on earth. I'm a citizen of the United States. More importantly, I'm a citizen of the mountain state, right? Even though I'm a citizen here, I'm a sojourner. That's biblical language. And Paul here wants my heart primarily set up on the fact that I'm a heavenly citizen. He wants to take us out of this earthly pursuit and remind us of our citizenship in heaven. And that citizenship shapes, shapes everything about our lives. That, that's the point here. 
That citizenship that we have and possess in Christ, it shapes everything about our lives. It shapes our perspective. It transforms our thinking. I'm a citizen of heaven right now in Christ. Paul would say something similar in Ephesians 2. When he would write, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. In that moment, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. This is who we are. Citizens of heaven in Christ. So, just sad commentary. Don't let the things of this world distract us from our true and heavenly possession, which is Christ. That's the contrast between those who walk as enemies of Christ. Their minds are set on earthly things. Don't be that way. But set your mind, Colossians chapter 3, set your mind on the things above where Christ is. Because your citizenship is there. Look at verse number 21. He says, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The second side of this reminder is this is your glorious end. Your body will be transformed. They will be made like his. How? Well, he tells us in verse 21, by God's power, that power that subjects all things to himself, that power is going to raise our earthly bodies and form and fashion them like his glorious body. This is two times now that Paul's come back to this idea in this very short passage. He, he wants you, Christian, to set your mind upon the fullness of the hope that you have in Christ. The salvation you now experience is not full. At the resurrection, all that God has promised you in Christ will come to pass. Everything. So often, sorry, Julia, so often, Sean, at funerals, he was adamant about this. He was so adamant about this. We would go to the grave site and, and he would almost lament over an, an erroneous thinking that had permeated the Christian mind that heaven was our final home. This disembodied state would be the final reward. And he would go to these grave sites, and I remember so many times he would remind me, Jason, heaven is not our home. Heaven is not our home. One day we will have the new earth, and at that new earth we will have new bodies. This resurrection is kind of Paul's shorthand language to say to us, all the promises of God will now be fulfilled for you, the sinner who are in Christ. At that glorious day, when he takes our bodies, these lowly bodies, these frail, weak, fallen bodies, and he's going to take them and he's going to make them like his glorious body. So when we go to grave sites, 
and we place our loved ones in the ground, we are reminded there will come a day when God will bring forth that body and he will fashion and form it according to the body of Christ. And he will bring to pass all of his promises. A a text, a, a quote that we have used often here by George Herbert, a good Scott. He says, death used to be an executioner but the gospel has made him just a gardener. In other words, at death, our bodies are just planted. They're not done. They're just planted, and on that day, the power of God will raise those bodies, and he will form and fashion them according to Christ's glorious body. Listen, that that hope's before you for a reason here, right? That you're a citizen of heaven, that he's going to transform your lowly body. That hope's before you for a reason. He sets that out there because remember, remember what we're in here, striving and straining and pressing forward. Well, you press forward knowing the end. God will raise your body. Let me finish this morning with just three quick conclusions. And really, this is more just my last time preaching in Philippians than this text necessarily. Number one, This is Philippians 3. Just three quick reminders. Who you are in Christ is the most important thing about you. Who you are in Christ is the most important thing about you. I won't belabor that point. But brothers and sisters, it is crucial for you to know who you are, who God says you are in his son. And to ground yourself in that kind of theology, to, to, to ground your life in that kind of theology. I mean, Paul presses forward because Christ made him his own. He knew he was in Christ. And that truth about Paul is what stirred him and energized him to Pursue these things and these goals that he has set forth. Who you are in Christ is the most important thing about you. You need to know that. Number two, in this text, striving and straining with an understanding of who you are in Christ should mark your life. What others should know about you is that your heart is to know Jesus, be like Jesus, and to commune with Jesus. It's Paul. Striving and straining toward these goals should mark everything about your lives, everything. Number three, lastly, this hope we have spoken of on multiple occasions throughout the book of Philippians, from Philippians 1 to Philippians 3, should fill your soul as a Christian and energize your present life of godliness and Christ-likeness. That hope you have in Christ, I, I think of Paul in that jail, in that Roman prison. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And that that theology filled him, that theology of hope 
It filled his soul so that even in the midst of suffering and persecution, Paul was energized to labor and to press forward and to reach for that mark of upward call in Christ. It was that hope that was out there. And brothers and sisters, you have to fight for that hope. You have to fight to keep it centered in your heart, in your mind. That hope that Christ has given you should fill your soul and energize your present life and pursuit of holiness. You are a citizen of heaven. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are a citizen of heaven today. And before you, soon, you will stand before your king in a glorified, risen body fit for eternity. Let that hope cause you to purify your soul now. Let us pray together. But Father, as we conclude this chapter of Philippians, so much for us to set our hearts on, our minds upon. You have been good to us and not only giving us this epistle, but guiding our church through these texts, reminding us of the centrality of Christ in our lives, reminding us that our aim and our passion should be to know him and to be like him ultimately to commune eternally with him. Lord, let, that, let those truths fill us this morning as Christians. Let it remind us of the importance of our striving, laboring in this life toward those things. Let us do so energized by the power that works in us, the same power that raised your son from the dead. And Lord, I would pray that as we press forward, we would do so as a people who know that the fullness of our salvation is secure in Christ. Looking toward that day when through these sufferings and through these trials, we will finally come to when you on that day raise our bodies from their graves fashion and form them according to his glorious body and all of your promises toward us in Christ will come to pass. Oh God, take that hope, move it into our souls so that in this time and this day we would be a faithful, obedient people. Lord, we are grateful for your word Spirit of God, work this in us for your glory and for our good, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Please stand if you would. When peace like a river I Oh
Thank you, Sean and worship team, for leading us this morning. That feels like an appropriate song for us to walk out of Philippians chapter 3 with this morning. Our elders, our staff will be present up front after our gathering. If you have questions,